resources, right? I mentioned that was a private plane. That was someone who owns a plane and said, hey, I want to give that up so that way we can get these goods to the people of Maui. That's a five-hour-plus flight to actually get there. Then they have to coordinate with the FAA to bring it into the right airport so the goods can be delivered, but no easy feat at all. Wow. So great to see people. The best of people sometimes comes out in the worst of times. Alex Capriello, thanks so much for joining us. And thank you so much for trusting us tonight on Balance with Leland Vitter. It's coming up next. I'm Elizabeth Vargas. I'll see you right back here tomorrow night. On the program tonight, Divided by the Don. Every time they file an indictment, we go way up in the polls. How former President Trump splitting his own party actually helps him win the nomination. I mean, he's such a hot mess, and he's, like, talking to me. And why the never-Trump Republicans can't get their act together, bringing back Bud Light. This month, I celebrated my day 365 of womanhood, and Bud Light sent me possibly the best gift ever, a can with my face on it. Heir to the Bush fortune, Billy Bush wants to purchase the slumping brand from its corporate overlords. What would Kid Rock think about that? Bud Light and Anheuser-Busch. Dangerous bite. Unprovoked dog attacks spike post-pandemic, but scientists say don't blame the breed. Why we won't deal honestly with the danger looming in a front yard near you. Welcome to the Ferris Show on television. First tonight, blaming the victims in defense of their bungled response to the Maui fires just a few hours ago. The FEMA director blamed the victims. Evidently, the folks on Maui just don't understand how good the federal response has been. 24 hours after we called the Maui fires President Biden's Katrina, the rest of the media has finally woken up. Welcome to the party. Here is the FEMA director facing the White House press corps today. I heard everything you said about all the resources that are um, being brought to bear, but we keep interviewing survivor after survivor who says that uh, either they didn't see any government personnel or assistance for days or that they still haven't. Uh, How do you explain the disconnect between what they're saying and what you're saying about all the resources that are there in Maui? I think you need to understand that this community is going through an amazingly traumatic event. Uh, I can tell you that we have personnel that are on the ground year-round and embedded in with the state as soon as the fire started so we could continue to understand what resources were needed and help move them in. Well, there you go. Everything on Maui must be just fine. It's not. Those who survived the fire still don't have power or cell phone service. Evidently, finding food and water can take all day. Still, Five days after the worst fires, we know 106 people died in the fire, but rescue teams still don't have enough cadaver dogs to search the rubble. Only about a third, one third of the rubble has been searched. As we told you last night, the dogs exist, but President Biden didn't order them to Hawaii over the weekend. He was quite literally at the beach. But From the White House press secretary, well, we heard that the victims have it all wrong. 
because evidently President Biden cares a lot. You guys will probably think that it's minor and we're making too much of it. But the idea of not saying anything until yesterday publicly. Why? You see the president. If you if you know this president, you know how much he cares about people. You know uh, how much he cares about folks who have lost so much. Yeah. Nothing really says you care like a weekend on the beach. Nothing says you care like jogging away from reporters or yelling no comment about the rising death toll. I don't know why Donald Trump just showed up. You don't say you care. You actually show you care. And it took about five days before the government even really stepped in, before FEMA arrived. And um, still, even when they did, it seems like uh, we were having trouble when they did arrive because uh, I had friends over at War Memorial Complex saying that FEMA was uh, confiscating some supplies, wrapping them up on pallets, saying they were deemed... um, Oh, I, f- I forget the word, but they're basically saying that they couldn't hand them out because they weren't approved. So do we believe the guys who've lost their homes or do we believe the FEMA director? You can pick. Last night, we told you the Hawaii fires will become Mr. Biden's Katrina. Mr. Biden spent the weekend at the beach. Mr. Bush flew over New Orleans and looked out the window of Air Force One. It's hard to forget that photo. On the ground, of course, things look Sadly, similar almost. New Orleans in 2005 and Maui right now. Is the comparison Bush-Biden, Katrina-Maui fair? I think it is fair. It's, it's, it's fair on so many levels. There are so many aspects of this Leland that I could go into. But I have to tell you, listening to President Biden blow off reporters sitting at the beach, it does remind me of calling the president, President Bush at the time, and saying, I need your land in Baton Rouge. Hmm. You may not recognize him, but that's Michael Brown, former FEMA director under President Bush. He became a punchline. You know him as Brownie. It's to save lives and get food and medicine to people so we can stabilize the situation. Uh, again, I, I want to thank you all for, and Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. <laughs> the FEMA director is working 24 A fair analysis would say that it really wasn't Michael Brown's fault. He was, in fact, kind of doing what he was told. And mercifully for Bush, Katrina happened after his reelection, but it did cripple him in his second term. He lost support across the country. Americans felt he didn't care. He didn't care about people like them. After our segment last night, Mr. Motor 24 wrote on Twitter, if he, meaning Biden, had gone there earlier... He would have been in the way. Do you know how much time and effort it takes for a president to be on the ground while the searchers are there? The security is huge. Yes, as a matter of fact, we do know. I've been on the ground during many disasters. Of course the president waits. I've been on the ground during presidential visits. This isn't about going or not going. It's about not being at the beach while rescuers don't have cadaver dogs. Politics is perception. People want to see the president care. They need to feel it, because next time it might be them. They need to feel their president understands, will leave the beach and order the awesome power of the federal government to come and save them. That didn't happen. Instead, today, we learned it's the victim's fault for not being more grateful and realizing that President Biden evidently does indeed care, because he says so. Joining me tonight, Hawaii State Representative 
Konani Souza uh, with us from uh, near Honolulu. We appreciate you joining us. I j- take the politics out of it for a second. Uh, we'll start with this. Do you have what you need? Aloha, Leland. We actually don't have what we need. And the people on the ground are the ones who are running the relief efforts right now. It's not the government and it's not the federal government, whether it's federal, state or county level. How a weekend is this still so screwed up? You know, that's a really good question. I represent Kapolei um, on Oahu and Maui is, is not my my district, um, I do not represent any district on the island of Maui. And it's getting to the point where my office is being inundated with phone calls from my own constituents, from constituents across Maui and Hawaii, wanting to know what is the government doing. And so I plan to be on the ground, boots on the ground in Maui tomorrow to assess the situation and to offer any relief aid um, that I can be, be useful for tomorrow. Look, Hawaii is a Democratic state. You're a Republican. I I understand that. The fact of the matter, though, is the criticism is bipartisan. Uh, Yesterday, uh, Senator Angus McKelvey, a Hawaii state senator, was was on News Nation. Take a listen. Are you satisfied with the federal response thus far? Uh, No, I'm not, actually. I'm not, and this community's not at all. I mean, there's a disconnect going on. I mean... They're in Honolulu talking to top people in Honolulu. I'm the state senator, the state rep, and the council people. We're on the ground. We have information. We have a wireless network to get stuff up in the community, and they are absolutely ignoring us. It's kind of stunning. I want to read this to you because the imagery is searing. Uh, Those pictures of people in the water uh, with fire around them, brings almost a movie or a biblical view to you. Now we have an account. While we still couldn't see much, we could hear it. Uh, this is a woman who watched uh, the city burn to the ground from her sailboat. Explosions blasted left and right. Screams began echoing across the water. Eventually, the fire started moving closer to shore. We could see the buildings and trees along the shoreline going up in flames, burning red in the darkness. Then came the call over the VHF radio. Over 100 displaced residents have jumped into the water to avoid the fires. Quote, all boats in the vicinity are asked to keep a sharp lookout and assist if possible. Later, we got the call to save the women and children. It's almost like the Titanic. That was last week. Did people just not realize how bad it was? Well, you know, I think that right now we're operating as a third world country over there, and it's the people who are are helping their community members, especially a lot of Native Hawaiians. I'm a Native Hawaiian myself. Native Hawaiians have been displaced. Our local people who have lived there for years and years and decades um, have been displaced, and it's the people coming together. I think that the government um, had ample warning. There were red flag warnings in effect prior to this event happening. That's exactly what a red flag warning um, is meant to alert you of. It's the potential of this this kind of wildfire. So I understand that maybe a lack of resources or the fact that the fire had spread rapidly, um, you know, contributed to a lot of the chaos, but we could have prevented this type of level of catastrophe. And that's my opinion. Yeah, we're we're hearing crazy reports about uh, complete incompetence at the the emergency management level in in Maui or on Maui in the the county there, Uh, issues that the water uh, could have been turned on or more pressure given to the fire hydrants that wasn't. We haven't been able to confirm any of this. You're nodding along, so I'm guessing you've heard 
some of the same things. And, and after disasters, you hear stuff. So we're going to try to run that to ground. Ukraine aid breakdown versus Maui. So this is the amount the United States has spent. We have spent $914 per American household for aid to Ukraine. The households in Maui that have been destroyed are given a $700 check, a one-time check, we're told, for hardship from FEMA. I'm wondering if that seems fair to you. You know, absolutely not. I think that the people of Maui deserve more money. They deserve more aid and relief. And we definitely, at a time like this, have to prioritize our people, our Americans, our Maui residents and um, Native Hawaiians, you know, over anything that um, has transpired over in Ukraine. And I understand the need to to help with both efforts. Um, however, you know, we have to take care of our people at home first. Yeah, it's amazing that it seems as though we can get weapons to Ukraine pretty easily, but we can't seem to get aid and cadaver dogs to Maui. So um, it's kind of of mind-blowing. We're going to stay on the story. I know this is personal for you. Uh, Let us know when you get back from Maui what you find out in your visit, all right? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, and I appreciate um, the concern of the entire country um, with eyes on Maui right now. Thank you. Yeah, because in reality, any of us could be Maui. It can can happen to any of us. That's kind of the point. We're all in this together. All right, thank you very much. Speaking of being all in this together, think about one year ago today and how you felt financially. If you are better off, well, then the Inflation Reduction Act worked. Today is the one-year anniversary of us spending $800 billion that we do not have of your money to reduce inflation. And the governor of Michigan went on MSNBC earlier to say it's money well spent. When this story uh, hits more people and they understand what's happened and they they see their the cost of their insulin going down, which this president championed and got done as just one of many examples of how life's getting better for people in this country. I think it's going to be very clear that this president should be reelected. OK, so. There you go. To be fair, the inflation rate actually is down 9.1% in June of last year to 3.2% last month. Inflation is down, but prices obviously are still going up. We're all paying more for groceries, including bread, rice, and cereal. Rent is still far higher than it was last year, up 8%. Insurance and repairs for your home, well, those cost an awful lot more, too. That price increase is all due to inflation, and they're part of the reason that household debt The combined debt that we all owe, not talking about the federal government, is now at $17 trillion. That amounts to more than half of our national debt. It is absolutely stunning, the situation that so many Americans find themselves in. Of course, we don't need to tell you that. You feel it every day. The question is, Does the president and do really anybody in Washington, Republicans or Democrats, actually care about people like all of us? Speaking of people like all of us, a couple weeks ago, we introduced you to Jessica McCabe of Alabama, who went viral on TikTok because she hit a nerve. Twelve million people watched her video talking about how she felt. There used to be... Uh, you know, upper class, middle class, lower class. It's literally turning into the ultra wealthy and then everybody else is just poor. All right, Jessica, you're back with us now. We appreciate it. I'm wondering what you were thinking uh, when you heard President Biden today and got sort of, you know, a year is always a good time to take a step back and kind of get a sense of where we are. 
Well, I'm not really sure who exactly is feeling that his economic act is working for anybody. All you have to do, if you really want to get the pulse of the people, just look at any social media outlet and you see people on there showing you how much $100 got them in groceries back in 2021 and how much that same $100 is getting them in 2023. It is staggering. And even simple things like let's talk ramen noodles, which everybody tended to eat in college. I ate those when I was kind of broke as well. Even those have gone up 60%. So the American people are feeling it. And I think the problem that we're going to come into, not only with groceries and just about everything, rent prices are up as well. But when we start to have food and shelter insecurities, that is the spark that can start a revolution. That's a pretty big word. When you say revolution, what do you mean? I mean, I think the people have had enough. You know, when you look at the American people, and every day you see it. All you have to do is look at social media and look at the people that are struggling. I've had people in my comments say that they're 30, 35 years old, moving back in with their parents, with them and their children, because they can't afford to live in this economy. You know, when you talk about all the expenses, I know that the government likes to put out the numbers. Oh, well, inflation is only this much. Well, the American people are feeling it a lot more than the 2% or even the 8% that they said they've gotten up to because they're actually the ones paying for the items that they're having difficulty doing so with. And when you look at it as a whole, let's just take this as an example. You're only supposed to spend 30% of your take-home pay on rent, you know, your, your security, your housing security. So let's say I make $22 an hour. That's way above minimum wage, correct? Well, 30% of that is $13,500. So if you divide that by 12, that means that the most I should be spending for rent or mortgage is $1,100 to make sure that I am secure in my housing. Find me a rental place or a mortgage that I can pay for $1,100. Most of them are starting at $1,200, $1,400, going all the way up to $2,000 for small little apartments. And not only that, you have to prove to them that you can make three, four, five times that to even apply to get in. So the Americans are feeling a lot different than what we're being told. Oh, it's just a little bit inflation. Oh, it's going up a little bit. No, they're actually living it every day. Jessica, I don't know the answer to this question. I, I don't often make a habit of asking questions I don't know the answer to, or at least I think I do on, on live television. But is this partisan for you? Is this Republican or Democrat, or is this sort of all the bums in Washington are, are in on it together? You said the ultra-wealthy. Uh, mm-hmm. Is Washington just an extension of them? Um, I do believe they have become that, and that's what's said. I mean, a lot of people, especially in my comments, are just in general, we are so politically charged that we like to either blame the Republicans or blame the Democrats Well, what we should be doing is that this is a Democrat and a Republican Party problem because this is a people problem. So we as the working class need to come together and stop being so politically charged and putting the blame on people and saying we need to make a change and force our representatives to start working for us again and not the lobbyists and the big corporations that fund their campaigns. Yeah, uh to talk to the Republicans about not getting rid of the carried interest deduction. That might uh, be a start. Uh, but you make a great point. Uh, the divide in America, rural, urban, uh, and a class divide, a working class divide, rather than the, the, way, the way things were in the, in the past. It's always good to see you, Jessica. We'll check in shortly, all right? All right. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Quote, unquote, the pandemic is used to absolve 
responsibility or escape responsibility on just about everything, as you heard, the economy, inflation, drug shortages, airline delays. It's a catch-all, if you will, for people's problems and why it's not somebody's actual problem. Oh, it was the pandemic. Nobody can be blamed. So when things make the news like a sudden rise in dog attacks, of all things, it must be because of the pandemic. It certainly couldn't be because of the dogs or their owners. Here's just some recent headlines. Tulsa World writes dog bites are on the rise, and experts say blame the pandemic experts. Same headline, the Wisconsin State Journal, the Danville Register, Marietta Daily Journal, the list goes on and on and on. But if you actually look at the numbers, it's not really true. Injuries from dog bites have been tripling for years. The numbers have tripled consistently over the last 20 years. They also tripled from 2019 to 2020, the year before the pandemic. So it's not really surprising to hear that dog bite injuries have tripled several months into 2020. And today, the tripling remains about the same. So it's not the pandemic. And you're looking for a clear outlier. You don't have to much, look much further than the breed. Pit bulls now account for 70% of dog bites. Rottweilers, 10%. German shepherds are at 5%. And there you go. Sort of in their nature. Different breeds are wired differently. That's science. Take, for instance, the president's German shepherd, Commander. Commander, the Biden's German shepherd bit or attacked Secret Service agents stationed at the White House 10 times. It's been a rough go at the White House. A rough patch for the first dog. Commander's the only thing Biner doesn't want to have quarantined. Bad dogs. All right, joining us now, Michael Gould. He's an expert witness specializing in forensic dog handling, 42 plus years of studying dogs. All right. Is it is it the pandemic or is there something more going on here? Yeah. So so thank you for having me, Leland. Uh, This is a great opportunity for me to talk about something I'm passionate about, and that is dogs and how humans and dogs interact. And then we have these tragedies, uh, pit bull bites and so forth, what we refer to as bully breeds. But the pandemic uh, had influenced slightly because nobody was going out. Young children weren't going out. Dogs have to be social. They're social pack animals. They're born into a litter of six or eight siblings. And then we as humans take them away from that and we raise them as human and we project our human drama into their lives. And eventually accidents happen. So, uh, yeah, but the pandemic has something to do with it. But it's really everything is at the hands of humans that are adopting or buying dogs. All right. So Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, dogbite.org, from 40 fatal dog attacks every year to 80. Uh, the number of non-fatal ones is, is up substantially um, as well. Is it time, though, for us to say, OK, uh, there's never been a headline, at least that I've read, of Labrador Retriever suddenly attacks toddler or Golden Retriever, you know, runs across the yard to attack old lady. It just doesn't happen. Hmm. And I'm wondering if this sort of all the, the, the scientists of, oh, don't blame the breeds, don't blame the breeds, isn't just, again, sort of whitewashing away, saying, oh, it's nobody's responsibility. Well, it is the responsibility, but it's the responsibility of the pet owner. So all these dogs, I have a facility, Houndstown, USA, and we care for million, literally four million dogs since our inception. 30% of the population of the dogs in our facilities across the country are what's referred to as bully breeds. Pit bulls, German shepherds, Do- Dobermans. If the dog is socialized properly, dogs are not psychotic, so they don't wake up one day at three years old and decide they want to become serial killers. So, of course, certain breeds, as you alluded to in your introduction, are, are wired and bred for certain things. And pit bulls are one of them. 
But when they're socialized, that's the key. In real estate, it's location, location, location. With dogs, it's socialization, socialization, socialization. So as I said, in any one of our facilities today, where we have about 2,000 dogs across the country, 30%, 20% are what would be described as bully breeds. So I'm a big uh, advocate of non-breed discrimination. I am a, uh, a, a staunch advocate of owners not understanding what they're getting themselves into and treating their dogs as though they're humans and not animals. I guess it's that old line, right? Dogs suddenly resemble their owners or owners resemble the dogs. Who knows which one? I got a bulldog. So, yeah. Um, (laughs) That's pretty good. There might be some truth to that, Leland. Uh, just just, just a little bit. All right. It's good talking to you. We appreciate it. Uh, some sage thoughts. Congratulations about Houndstown. That's incredible what you guys have going on. Thank you. Thank you so much, Leland. It was a pleasure have it, uh, being on your yeah. show. Thank you, yeah, sir. Yeah, pleasure, pleasure having you here. Talk soon. Uh, the Republicans' problems might, might not actually be Donald Trump. It's all the other Republicans other than Donald Trump. The new math showing why Republicans can't get organized. remarkable thing is happening in American politics. For the first time, Republicans who say they hate Donald Trump, who call him an existential threat to democracy, blah, 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 are getting noticed by voters. Of course, the media always love them, but voters now are paying attention. Self-described Trump Trump dethroner Chris Christie just passed Ron DeSantis in New Hampshire. He is at 9%. Says something. Of course, if we were going to look at the national polling, Trump has the race under lock and key, but it's still very, very early. Trump holds a 40% lead, according to the Real Clear Politics average, but polls have been wrong before. Of course, just ask Mr. Trump in 2016. With each indictment, though, Trump's poll numbers have shot up, not down. These are numbers from before Georgia, but the pattern there is very, very strong. Former Congressman Will Hurd is here, also part of the Never Trump Republican Caucus running for president. It's good to see you, sir. It's been a long time. All right. Um, Am I right that all of a sudden you and others who are sort of the anti-Trump Republicans are getting noticed and getting interest? Uh, I don't think it's it's a new phenomenon. Here's the bottom line. Um, We're 25 weeks out. This is a long way away. I was in New Hampshire um, earlier last week, last weekend, I was block walking and somebody asked me, um, is Donald Trump running for reelection? And uh, not everybody is doom scrolling on social media or consuming political news. Uh, the reality is, is when you look across America, there are more people uh, that want someone other than Donald Trump or Joe Biden. Uh, that's where yeah, the look. real opportunity and where the majority of Americans are. And, and, and people want someone who's articulating a vision uh, for the future. Um, even folks that like um, Donald Trump, that have voted for him the last two times, they recognize that all this legal baggage is having a problem. Folks that look at Joe Biden and the problem he has with Hunter Biden, um, and, and they realize okay, fair, they fair enough. Look, no, You're can, not going to get any argument from me. Case, we need somebody else. Yeah. No, you're not going to get any argument from me in a country of 330 million people that we can't find two people better than Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Uh, both both either over 80 or nearing 80 and with their own significant issues uh, that have that have been exposed uh, to run run this country. But this would be my question. We look at we look at the polling, especially in New Hampshire. and That's where people pay uh, more attention, just like in Iowa. All right. Uh, Trump, 49, Christie, nine, DeSantis, eight, Scott, eight, 
Burgum four, Haley four, Ramaswamy three, Johnson two, Pence one, Heard one, undecided 13%. You combine everybody but Donald Trump into one candidate, and you could have a real race, and you could have a real conversation, and you could really focus the spotlight on the issues that you just talked about as it relates to Donald Trump. For all those people like yourself who say Donald Trump is an existential threat to democracy, I'm not going to argue one way or the other. Wouldn't it be a lot easier to beat him if you all just got behind one of you rather than kept splitting the vote? Sure. And, and look, I think Governor Chris Sununu, the governor of New Hampshire, said it best that when it comes to winter, um, if there's not a pathway to victory, then people need to start consolidating. And, and I think that's absolutely right. The, the reality, though, is, you know, the Republican Party, we should have a competition of ideas and we should have these debates. This is uh, why we're having the first debate next week on the, the 23rd in Milwaukee. And, but I think that, that, that you're right. That logic makes sense. Uh, the closer, getting a little bit closer to election time when people are starting to pay attention. Most people right now are just coming back and having their kids go back to school, getting no, off I, of, I, look, uh, the fair, summer break. Hold on. I, I, I want to get not, one. And not first. Let me get, I, I get that idea. I also understand the idea that just by sh- mm-hmm. sort of the sheer din of dilution, Okay. The sooner it becomes a one-on-one race in any situation, the more likely it is that Trump isn't the inevitable nominee. It's just math and, and sort of the reality of American politics, is it not? Well, well, come on, Leland. We, we, we've, we, you know, you said in the in the lead up, we should learn that polling. We learned back in 2016, polling is only a snapshot in time. Uh, these are the same arguments people were making two weeks ago before Ohio, before that ballot initiative, when folks said it was going to pass very, you know, in a very narrow margin, and that, you know, that this was something that was going to, it was going to pass by, it was like 42.1 percent to to 41 percent, and end up getting beat by 18 percent. These are the same people uh, that said in 2022 that no, Kevin McCarthy was going to have a 30 to 35 uh, majority vote the weekend before the actual election. And we know it ended up five. And these are also the same pollsters yeah, that said a black Congress Republican in no, you, no, making Latino good point. district didn't have a chance. No, uh, no it's, an excellent, it's an excellent point. Uh, if, if, if polls really worked well, then we wouldn't have to have elections and go through this all the time. Uh, Congressman, it's good to see you. You're welcome on the program anytime, especially here in D.C. It's good to see you. Uh, George Will, News Nation senior political contributor with us. Now, all right, is Donald Trump the inevitable nominee if we don't get some consolidation? Yes, of course, because uh, you can't beat something with nothing, and you have to get, as you say, amalgamate all the the support. However, remember, no one really believes if John Casey could dropped out and and left, it it would have been one-on-one cruise against Trump, that Trump would have been defeated. So, yes, some consolidation is going to take over. But, Leland, suppose after Iowa, it still looks the way it does now with not much separation between these candidates. I mean, that poll we just saw from New Hampshire, within the margin of error, DeSantis could be second still or fourth. So, right. And Donald Trump is at 40 plus percent. The, precisely. The, the, the one away favorite. But, here, but, Leland, he has a ceiling. He can't get through to make himself electable. And he may have a floor he can't fall below to prevent him from being nominated. That's the Republican dilemma. Well, and the Republicans seem to be, for lack of a better term, sort of completely paralyzed within, within the group that is not Donald Trump running for the nomination. Well, they've got different theories about how to do this. The people in the, who are stressing Iowa 
want to have what they call a slingshot effect. They come out of Iowa and land with momentum in New Hampshire. Chris Christie's having none of that. Chris Christie says, I'm going to ignore Iowa, and I'm going to retail politic in, in New Hampshire, at which he's very good. Chris Christie is fun, partly because he is in New Jersey frame of mind, which means he's like a man looking for a bar fight. We're going to d- dive into this a lot tomorrow, but... The Donald Trump of 2024 is not the Donald Trump of 2016. I covered him. I covered him at the White House when he would spend so much time with the press at the rope line on the South Lawn as he went out to Marine One. They'd send the decoy helicopters to refuel and we'd run out of questions. It was, it was sort of this wild time of accessibility to a president of the United States. Now, Trump shows up in Iowa. He's surrounded by his aides in a Secret Service detail, doesn't meet with the press, doesn't do local interviews, goes back to his plane, takes one question, and flies away. What are we to make of Donald Trump now for, I'm, I don't know, let's say running from the basement or a safe campaign in a, in a way that's very untrumpian? Well, all the questions he's going to get right now concern felony indictments. And there's no really upside to constant conversation about your problems with the federal prosecutors. Yeah, well, that, <laughs> that, that will encourage one to, uh, well, is that really fair, though? Because every time he was president, he got asked really tough questions. I mean, the press just went after him day in, day out. He's also, at this point, he says, look, I'm 40 points ahead. What's, the, what's in it for me to have these interactions? If I were trying to get attention, if I were trying to catch someone in front of me, it would be one thing. But he's like, a, he's like sitting on his lead. Hmm. Now, in basketball, they used to have a four-corner stall. Then they put in the 30-second clock in college basketball. So you couldn't do that. The question is, can you still do it, not in basketball, but in American politics. Yeah. So, so, so far, there's not a shot clock in politics. It's good exactly. to see you, sir. Good to see Thank you, you, as always. Tomorrow on the Hill, chairwoman of the Republican National Committee, Ronna McDaniel, joins Blake Berman live. What to expect from the candidates ahead of their first debate. Uh, and the big question, whether or not President Trump will attend 5 p.m. Eastern right here on News Nation. Coming up next, his family understands American beer drinkers better than anybody. They built Anheuser-Busch into the U.S.'s largest brewer. Now, Billy Bush wants to buy back Bud Light. His plan saved the brand. We'll see you in a minute. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You selling a lot, about a lot of Bud Light? Uh, Bud Light? Not, I haven't sold that many here. That's part of our informal poll at the Iowa State Fair. The Bud Light boycott continues. No Bud Light being sold at the Iowa State Fair. In fact, the boycott's getting worse since they hired a transgender influencer, Dylan Mulvaney. Bud Light's corporate overlords at InBev reportedly believe sales of Bud Light will never come back. It's hard to imagine, given Bud Light's reign as the best-selling beer in America. Of course, a lot of that was attributed to the company's marketing back when Anheuser-Busch owned it. Bud, air, bud, wines, bud, air, wines, bud, bud, wines, 
If he didn't kill you for an ad like that, the Bush family no longer controls the beer maker. InBev took over after serious missteps by the Bush family. Billy Bush outlines many of them in his book, Family Rain, that details how the family and then the company lost its way. He now wants to buy the Bud Light brand back, and Billy is with us from his hometown, my hometown of St. Louis. Uh, All right, would the frogs come back? Sure. I mean, the frogs were a great advertising. We have the Clydesdales, um, which, uh, which of course, InBev um, owns right now. They own all the rights to all of that stuff. But uh, if they were to sell me the uh, brand back, Bud, Bud, Bud Light, I think that would be amazing. Uh, my family, my great-grandfather, Adolphus, and it's in the book Family Reigns, he came out with uh, Budweiser back in the 1800s, 1876 to be exact, and it became the king of beers, the number one beer in the world. And that lasted until Bud Light came along, of course, back in the early 80s. And uh, Bud Light then took off, and that became the number one beer in the world. And it was largely due to the great advertising that they had. You're exactly right. All right. They embraced the brand, right? They embraced the culture. And no disrespect to any one beer brand, but a lot of light beers sort of taste the same. People people are brought to to an image, and to, to a club, or a, a feeling of fraternity and belonging. Hey, I'm a Bud Light guy. Um I'm going to play a soundbite from the CEO of Anhe- the new CEO of InBev, Anheuser Busch, uh, talking about the Dylan Mulvaney uh, episode. Shall we say? Take a listen. Given the moment we're in, this moment in America with trans issues at the top of a Republican social uh, or conservative uh, political agenda, knowing what you know now, if you could go back, would you send this can to this one person again? There's a, a big social conversation taking place right now, and big brands are right in the middle of it. And it's not just our industry or Bud Light. It's happening in retail. It's happening in fast food. Was this a mistake? You know, we, uh, Bud Light has supported LGBTQ since 1998. So that's 25 years. And as we've said from the beginning, we'll continue to support the communities and organizations that we've supported for decades. Okay. Uh, what do you understand about Bud Light and Bud Light drinkers that he appears not to? I understand that the Bud Light drinker is your blue-collar, mainly your blue-collar, hard-working American who um, really doesn't want that kind of message pushed push down their throat. Um, I just think uh, what he's not understanding really is, yes, there is a population out there for transgenders and, and gays, and, um, you know, to target those uh Discriminately in a way that um, targets uh, the, the, those, that community is great. I mean, sure, be inclusive, but don't put it on the can that everybody's going to be drinking and expect that the true Bud Light drinker, or not the true Bud Light drinker, let me, let me put it this way, the core Bud Light drinker is going to re- react favorably to yeah. it. Well, it's kind of interesting, right? Because Bud Light and Anheuser-Busch, back when it was under family control, was one of the original supporters of the LGBTQ pride parades and everything else. And it was because they supported people drinking beer. It wasn't trying to jam a social message down other people's throat. It was it was a targeted marketing campaign. Um, since the Mulvaney promotion, InBev stock is down 17 percent. The S&P 500 up nearly 7 percent. This continues. You're going to be able to buy it back pretty cheap, right? 
Well, um, I've already I've already contacted the head of uh, Anheuser Busch. I let them know that uh, if uh, they they are interested in in me helping them in any way, which also would mean, of course, that I would be willing to buy back the brands. Um, please let me know. And I have not heard anything from them thus thus far. <laughs> well, based on I think it was Whitlock or whatever the guy's name was, who was the. Uh... CEO, it, it, it would be hard. It would take a little more of the drop in the stock price to break through the arrogance, but we'll see if it happens. Uh, Billy, thanks for being on with us. Let us know if you hear back from him, all right? You betcha. Pleasure being on. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, pleasure. Good seeing you. You've heard about The Blind Side, the movie, right? The lawsuit? Well, tonight we expose perhaps the real reason Michael Orr is suing the White family that took him in. The story, of course, that was made famous by this movie. Don't you dare lie to me. Why the real story may not have a Hollywood ending. Leanne and I, we, well, we'd like to become your legal guardians. What's that mean? What it means is, is that we want to know if you would like to become part of this family. kind of thought I already was. It's a great moment, right? The Blind Side. One of my favorite movies. Well, now the football star, Michael Orr, who the, who the movie is based off of. He alleges the white family that helped raise him, took him in from being homeless, saved him from some really terrible situations. Well, they say that he, they made up the story to profit off of his life. They say that the legal guardian thing became a conservatorship, and somehow the Tui family made millions and ripped Michael Orr off. Of course, Michael Orr ended up winning a Super Bowl with the Baltimore Ravens in 2013, went to Old Miss, got fame and fortune, none of which wouldn't have happened without the Tuies, which is sort of interesting that he never complained about any of these things when he was in college or when he was with the Baltimore Ravens or when he wrote, wrote his first book or when the movie came out. None of these issues, uh, supposedly, that Michael Hoare had with the Tui family have come out until now, years upon years upon years after. So why is that? Well, we have a theory, and Chris Cuomo is going to explore that theory later tonight with the Tui family attorney. Tui families represented what was best of America, right? A white family in the South taking in a young black man, sending him to a private school in order to do better and supporting him and then cheering him on as he went to Old Miss. Headline tear. Amid controversy, Michael Orr of the blindside fame attends book signing in Mississippi. That's from USA Today. Well, it turns out we may actually know why Michael Orr is now telling, quote-unquote, the other side of the blind side? Well, because he has a book to sell, which is why a lot of people make some pretty outrageous and outlandish claims in America when they have books to sell. As I said, Chris is going to get into that with the Tui family. Also, how exactly does a family that did so much for this young man, that really did take him in, and it's not them saying it, it's not the movie saying it, Michael Lewis wrote a book about it as well, how do they feel now that they're being sued by the young man who lived in their home for so long? That's with Chris next. When we come back, 
little bit about the United States, perhaps a solemn vow that this country has made, a deal we made with somebody who was maybe trying to protect America, trying to help America, who's being left behind in a terrible place. We'll see you in a minute. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. All for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. 